Life Audio. You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today I have a very special guest, Matthew Barnett. He is the co-founder of the Dream Center in Los Angeles. If you don't know what that is, we're going to get into it. It's an amazing place. And he's also the senior pastor of the Angeles Temple, which was founded in 1923 by Amy Simple McPherson, which is another amazing story. And so I'm going to talk to Matthew about his story, how he got to LA and about what goes on at the Dream Center. And it's going to be fascinating. So, uh, and at the end of the episode, I, I want to show a couple of little clips of video I took of two young women. I went down to visit the Dream Center a couple of months ago, and I took a video of two young women whose lives have been completely transformed by this place, by God's grace. So just watch out for that at the end. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome, Matthew Barnett. It's so good to be with you. I appreciate it. What an honor. Thank you. Thank you for being on. And so first, before we get into the Dream Center, which is amazing, uh, let's talk a little bit about how did you end up in Los Angeles? And what year was it? 1994, 1993? It was 1994. And my dad was a very successful pastor in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Tommy Barnett. And they came to him um, and they, some people came to him and said, look, we got a little building in downtown LA. It's going to be sold to the banks. Um, it's in a really bad neighborhood, but we don't want to lose it. Can you um, can you somehow save it? My dad really didn't feel like called by God to do it. He just said yes, because he didn't want to lose a precious little building in downtown LA to the banks. And so he said, I'll figure it out later. And so he drove about 10 pastors around the neighborhood and said, would you like to pastor this church? And then they looked at the building and saw gang members, you know, trying to uh, break in and drinking on the steps. And every single one of them said, I don't feel led of the Holy Spirit, you know, to come and pastor this church. So I was 11th on the list of 10. I was 20 years of age. And my dad, 20 years old. My dad said, come for three months. And then I promise you, um, I'll do my best to find a, a permanent pastor. And so 
It's 29 years, and we're still looking for the permanent pastor. That's how long I've been here. That's, that's how long. And so wait, so you, uh, by the way, the, the building used to be a hospital, right? It used to be um, Queen, An- Queen of Angels Hospital. Yes, that's where we're at right now. But we started just a little church building with a few houses in the neighborhood that were owned in and um, went through a lot of learning. I tell you that it was every. We're doing everything I never thought I'd be doing growing up. That's why sometimes your five-year plans can be all lined up perfectly in your head, <laughs> only to realize that when God just decides to do something different, you throw it away. It can be kind of liberating, but challenging at the same time, because you find yourself, you know, um, kind of dreaming from rock bottom, which we kind of believe that's the best place you can dream from, because you have all the raw ingredients of God's heart behind it, because you have nothing left to dream from. So I feel like this thing was kind of uh, born from a place of rock bottom and long prayer walks around the city and seeing so much hurt and need and and uh, using whatever I had, whether it be a desk and moving on the sidewalk. And yeah, so talk about that, because you <laughs> what what was that all about? You had a desk outside in what was it on Skid Row? And, well, it was at, outside our church building, which um, is a is really, really, really rough neighborhood. At that time we were like number two in the whole city in gangs. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where everything was struggling. I mean, I only had two people come into my church and I took like a long prayer walk through the city and, and God just impressed upon my heart. He said, love what you have, use what you have and don't want to be anywhere else but where you are right now. And I said, well, God, all I have is a desk and a phone and a few bags of food. And he said, just use that to serve people. And so I'd be studying for my sermon on the sidewalk every day. And uh, answering the phone because I was a receptionist and all the mamas in the neighborhood, we walking their kids by and I'd give them a little soccer ball to their kids. I buy those cheap little garment district ones for like three dollars that you blow up and just just using what I had. And I, I became so happy. It was, you know, we got a dirt lot. We turned it into a place where guys could play basketball or some of the gang members can paint like um, art on the walls. And and, um, you know, it was just it was just an, an experience that changed my life that I just realized that. I committed myself to loving what's in my hand and I committed myself to longevity. And there's a certain kind of freedom in longevity because you know that you've got time. That's one thing that you have is you have time to figure it out along the way. If you just have an open heart to what God wants to do. Yeah. Well, when you were first doing that down, down, you know, in that area, what were you ever, were you ever scared? Were you, were you ever like frightened by the, just the scene or was it, were you just like, no, this is where God has me. Yeah, I, I was frightened. You know, for the first year or two, I was I was scared of a lot of things. Everything was different. I, you know, I was just boldly going to talking to everyone behind liquor stores and neighborhoods. And but it was a very fearful place. And, and I think it was fearful because I really didn't love the city of L.A. yet. I had a lot of attachments back home. And one day I just was driving around. I saw all the streets and God just said, you can't fear what you love. Perfect love cast out all fear. So I just decided to love the area that I was reaching and then fear started to leave. And that was one of the most powerful lessons I learned that when I just intentionally decided that I was going to love and I started naming the streets, I love you Temple Street or I love you this street. And I just started calling it out. I I just began to find that love drove out a lot of all all the anxiousness that I had. Yeah. And so um, how how did people respond to you? Like when the the people on the street, how did they respond to this guy sitting on the street with a desk and a telephone. I mean, were they, were they welcoming to you? Were they nice to you? Like, how was it? That is a really good question. No one's really asked me that. Well, I think that what I felt the most is 
slight kindness towards me, but a lot of apprehension mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of uh, things have come and gone in the neighborhood. You know, they've left and uh, just left behind liquor stores and negative things. And so I think a lot of them is like, well, this guy has good intentions, but he won't stay. Like all the things that he wants to do for the neighborhood, they won't make it. So it was one of those things that the only way that you could win that battle was to outlast everything, you know, to outlast the liquor stores, to outlast the gang members, to outlast everything. And so I couldn't really relate to a lot of the, the problems in my neighborhood. Then God spoke to me and said, you don't have to be relevant. Be revolutionary. You know, do something that's never been done before. And so um, I just started to stay and love and serve and learn and help me and get people to help me in areas I couldn't. But um, I just felt longevity was the biggest uh, thing that the community needed the most. Were you out there every day of the week or what? how many days a week were you out there? Every day. Street ministry every day. I, it was like... Knocking on the doors. <laughs> Momentum felt so hard. I mean, it felt like, to be honest with you, that I went through two years of every, you know, I came from a mega church where 10,000 members it, um, is a church I came from. And everyone kept telling me, when are you going to come over and take over a real church? And I would get offended. I'm like, this is a real neighborhood, you know? And, and um, so, but I, I started there and I just, it felt like there's no way in the world we get anything, any momentum. I got humbled here. I thought as a mega church pastor's son, I would just come and show up. People would come to church just because I had the right for them to show. I don't know, whatever, but I, yeah. I, I didn't even have to earn the right to be heard. But in this neighborhood, you really had to earn that right to be heard by serving and loving and, um, and just staying there for people. And so that's, and, and now to this day, 29 years later, now, at, you know, I know you will get into the Queen of Angels hospital, but, uh, now that we're in this big old building, our building never gets tagged by by uh, gang members. We got no security gates or anything. Um, they just respect the contribution we've made over all these years. Yeah, uh, and so yeah, I, I confused the the when you guys acquired the small building. I thought you yeah. were talking about the Dream Center. So, so that was yeah, that, when, was a, that was a little beginning. That was a humble beginning. I think. That was a humble. So <laughs> how did how did the how did you guys when and how did you guys acquire that? the dream center building, which is huge and which is an echo park. Uh, tell tell us how you got that building. Well, yeah, it was incredible from transitioning that little church building and the little desk on the side of the road. I was driving down the one one freeway run one day at 22 years of age. And I see this big old hospital that said for sale. And I was just dumb enough to say, well, let's check it out. Hmm. So I pull over to the side and um, I walk through like Brad Pitt and George Clooney were filming a movie on site, like one of the oceans 11 I mean, I was walk. I walked into the building, and I said, "I'm interested in buying the building. How much is it?" And they said, uh, "We we have a serious buyer. Paramount Studios is going to buy it for 16 million dollars and turn it into a movie set." And I said, "Well, I don't have that kind of money, but I have a dream." And uh, they weren't impressed. They wouldn't even allow me to look around. Basically, kicked me out. So I saw a back door, and the security guard wasn't looking. And I just snuck in the building, and I gave myself a tour of the building. You know, and I mean, sometimes you gotta go gangster for Jesus, right? You know, yeah. just, I'm walking around the building and asking God to show me quickly what He wanted to do. You know, as I'm looking around and um, and running from the cops and all that. But I got to the rooftop and I looked over the city, and this is what God spoke. I saw Hollywood. I can see right here, Hollywood sign downtown, and uh, and God just spoke to me and He said, you know, the pimps are working 24 hours a day. The adult film industry, which is preying on runaway girls and promises of housing and lodging and gets them involved in human trafficking before long. They're working 24 hours a day. Everything bad's working. They can work 24 hours a day. Why not build a church? I'll be 24 hours. And God really put a confidence in my heart just to go forward and see if we can buy this building. And so we talked to the Catholic church who owned it, the sisters, and they were so sweet, the nuns and the Franciscan sisters. And we told them what our vision was. 
for this place. And they said, this is beautiful. And they said, go ahead and make us an offer. And I looked at my dad and we didn't have no, it was almost like we showed up with 1% faith and God was like, good enough. I'll take it. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I know more faith than that, but it felt like 1% faith. But um, I showed up and then they said, you know, $3.9 million. That's what we offer. 3.9 million top of our head type of number. And they said, wow, it's a really low offer. We were expecting something way more than that. But we said, but this is what we do have to offer. We're going to leave behind a legacy of your hospital serving people. And uh, we're going to take this hospital. We're going to house every homeless person, every person who has a drug addiction, every homeless family. We're going to love them. We're going to serve them. And we're going to take care of them. And they sold us the building for 3.9. Back when we only had $50,000 a year coming in the offering. I mean, like Nightmare on Elm Street filmed here, Halloween filmed here. I mean, we had to have every praying grandma just pray the demons out. We got into it, you know, (laughs) but it was serious. It was a 3.9 million. We got it. And through a series of crazy miracles, um, two of the guys in my dad's church in Arizona who, who left his church because he, he wanted to start something in LA. They were very negative guys, but when they saw the vision, God turned their heart around. They both gave a million dollars and, and that was kind of the momentum we needed to get started. And uh, we've just been walking on water ever since for 29 years. We'll be right back after this short break. How, and how did you, how long did it take to kind of renovate the building to, to meet your needs or to meet the needs? 20 years. 20. This was not an overnight success. That's why I tell people, they're like, man, uh, you know, I wish we could succeed at your level. I'm like, no, 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 it's not that way. I, I try to encourage them. I say it has been a, fight for every room. It's been enough faith for one room and one floor. It's been a labor of love. And I think that's why God sent me here so young to be able to really work on this and took us 20 years to finish it. Yeah. And um, it's a big 410,000 square feet property. And during the pandemic, people offered us 125 million to buy it. I mean, crazy offers because they thought that maybe our best days were done because a lot of things didn't survive the the pandemic, but God's God's work survived. And um, we just said, you know, it's not for sale. You can't sell what goes on here in this building where, you know, people addicted to fentanyl coming from under the bridges are showing up every day. 250 men and women in drug and alcohol rehab. Over 200 people that are 40 something families that are homeless that live here. All that have a year to live in the programs because when they have the luxury of time, they make better decisions. So we give them time to really work through and have a realistic chance to be rebuilt back in society again. So uh, we're having the time of our life. It has been a slow grind where we're at. And so that's why I just say enjoy the journey and uh, throw away what you think success looks like and just serve people. And you'll never know where it'll take you. And so you do you serve and you serve breakfast, lunch and dinner? 1200 meals a day, hot meals every day. Wow. Yeah, nonstop, 365 days a year. It never ends. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And so how does a person who is addicted to fentanyl or on the street, how do they get admitted into the Dream Center? Like, what's the process? Yeah, the process, I mean, we're, we're constantly in backlog of people trying to get in. A lot of the times people just show up at our doorstep at rock bottom. I mean, they literally every morning they'll line up. And come in and say, I feel like I'm going to die or something like a really serious need. A lot of parents will bring their kids over here. And um, unfortunately, sometimes they say, oh, it's only a 30 day program, even though they know it's a year. But they're so desperate to get their kids here. You know, they'll they'll just try to get them here. So at least they can hear the speech, you know, of, of trying to get them in the program long term. Um, we had 20 people a month that are sentenced to us for the prison system. 
So instead of getting judges or sending people pounding the gavel and saying, you're not going to prison, you're going to the Dream Center for a year, which we know changes their lives dramatically. You get beans and rice in Jesus Christ every single day for a year. I mean, your life gets transformed. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of it is um, word of mouth. You know, we've, we've brought five people back to life with just a Narcan that you bring in. Wow. That's been training. I've never seen anything like it in L.A. We're like literally going out in outreach just having to resurrect people from the dead. You know, and um, it's just it's just a sad thing that's happened. And and now it's like since the pandemic, there's been way more addiction. It's it's looking at different age groups, new people form addictions for the first time in their lives. So it's it's almost like you could just see the people coming from underneath the bridges of L.A., parents showing up with their kids, dropping them off. And to be honest with you, it's we've had people have tried ninety thousand dollar a year programs and um, haven't made it through. And then they come into this program and it's free of charge and their bunk, their bunk bed roommates, a, a former gang member in South Central. And we have a skinhead from Huntington Beach, a white supremacist who became best friends after a year. And the wow. reason why is, first of all, it's God. God brings things together. Second of all, um, that they understand they're fighting the same battle. They're fighting addiction. So when you get people from different backgrounds and races all in, in one common goal to win the same battle together, a lot of those racial walls and battles all just fall on the wayside. And um, in, in the presence of God just like overcomes and overtakes them on a day-to-day basis. And you don't take government money. So you're able to, you're able to talk about Jesus and talk about the gospel, right? That is the whole thing. We've probably turned down seriously about a hundred million dollars over the years because we have so much housing, you know, because the government's building these units and they're putting people in like safe, um, you know, the safe, safe houses or whatever they call them. And, um, but they're so expensive. I mean, they, they have to buy these huge co- uh, complexes just to accommodate maybe 10 to 12 people. So we would be the perfect candidate to receive a lot of money just because of the volume of people we're able to house. But, um, you know, we've always stayed true to the fact that, that what changes people's lives is, is, is the message of Christ. It's the, it's salvation. You know, they don't have to be a Christian to come into the program. They go through the whole program and not know the Lord. Um, that's fine too. It's hard not to after you see so much goodness and, what happens around there, but it's, um, it's just one of those things where, um, we just stay true to our convictions. Um, we've been walking on water many times. There's been, uh, some literally midnight miracle moments where someone brings a check to the front desk at 4 PM, you know, before the office closes. It's been that kind of thing for 29 years. Wow. But we've just stayed on the offense and just kept loving and serving people and believing that, um, God loves the people more that we're, that we're reaching more than we do. And there is an obligation in the scripture to take care of the poor that God has for those that are poor and hurting. Yeah. Amen. And so how many people or what percentage of people who come actually stay the full year? 70%. Okay. 70% make it. And then they don't make it. They can reapply in 30 days. But 70% from come in from the, the detox area all the way to the end, um, make it. And so it's a, it's a very, I think the reason why the percentage is really high like that, especially when you're dealing with so many like cold turkey situations or people that don't, don't even have a desire to change or just kind of want to go into your shelter, which is the first phase. Like, you know, you don't combine the rehab and the shelter. Um, there are different places of their life, but from that cold turkey all the way to the finish, it's like 70%. And I think the reason why is there's so much peer pressure to change. When people come into the environment, it's not like it's hundreds of people kind of taking over the environment. It's like the, the cool thing to do is to want to change your life. The cool thing to want to do is to move forward or face your addiction or face your struggles. 
And, um, and so the first thing that we do is we just strip away all condemnation and shame and regret. That's the first thing we deal with, you know, because when you're, the Bible says where there's no revelation, uh, people cast off restraint, which means they have no self-control. But when they go in and come in here and they have a dream and people start talking about what your life can become right off the bat. Now, there's going to be a process to get there. But when you kind of shine a bright light in the very, very beginning, it allows people to understand that that there is possibility and there is hope and they can go forward. And so that's why the year works so well. And then when they graduate the one year, they have a whole different building for second year. And that's limited accountability as far as the Bible said. There are certain things they have to do, but they can work regular jobs and make money and save $10,000 before they move out and have a legitimate shot to make it in this world. Um, and I, that's why I think just that like God's people do the best. You know, they walk through people through long periods of times and um, that that's our calling. And so tell what briefly, like, what are the different phases of that year when people come in? What what do they go through? Yeah, the orientation is the first 30 days. And that's no cell phones, no contact from the outside world, nothing. Get all, get all the bad influences out, you know, not having that come into your life. Then you get 90 days, you have weekly visits, things like that. Um, but the first 30 days orientation and then move to level two, which is like scripture memorization and um, and a lot of anger management classes and discipleship for 90 days. And then that's level one and then 180 days and then the year program. So it's like three levels and an orientation. And um, and then the, then they get their GEDs. If they don't have them um, during their second half of the program. We don't try to throw GEDs that fast at them. We're just really dealing with root issues. But as they get some momentum going, then we start um, working with the second half of the year. And this is what we tell the people when they come in. You know, we a lot of especially men, they believe that the evidence of their comeback is to get everything that they've lost back. Like when I get my family back or I get my job back, I get my status back or respect back or career back, then my life has been made complete. But that's not really the way it works in God's kingdom. The way it is, you know, we always tell them that if you have a right relationship with God, you have everything back. So start from the perspective that you have every David, when he lost everything in his moral failure, he said, God, renew a right spirit within me, restore the joy of my salvation. I mean, he wanted a right spirit back. And so... We always just teach people that you have God back, you have everything back. And um, and so that gives them the, the mindset that they don't have to control getting back all they've lost. We've had more men um, get their families back, more women get their children back just just by, you know, being the program, being faithful. And people find that they, they realize that they see it. And then they it's a little bit creepy, though, when some of their kids come back after six to eight uh, months and they're like, I, I don't even recognize you. I've never seen you sober. I've never seen you coherent. I've never seen you at a place where you're talking this way. So it's a beautiful thing to see how much goes into pouring into people's lives in the course of the year. Wow. And so you're also the senior pastor of the Angelus Temple, which Amy Simple yeah. McPherson founded in 1923. How did that happen? You know, that that is that is a sign that if you really put people first, God will do the other things. See, seek you first his kingdom. And all these other things will be added because when we came to LA. We looked at every building um, auditorium that we were going to buy. All of them shut down. We looked at the old Pep Boys building down there, even around the um, only actually where a lot of sadly the, the bridges collapsed. But um, but we looked at all those different areas around there to find buildings, and every door shut. And then we got this hospital. God just spoke to us and said, "You know what? Build 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 people, and one day I'll build a church." And so we had a little church built. We had a little a gymnasium. We'd pack in like four hundred chairs, and it was nuts. I mean, it was like no no aisles or anything. And God protect us from fire marshals all those years. But um, 
that's where we started. And then one day the Four Square Church um, denomination came to us and said, look, you know, we've been trying to plant people from different cities, but you guys are in it. You're there every day. Your heart's in it. And they gave us the Angels Temple Auditorium for everything wow. that we need, all the campus. Um, since the year 2000, we've been in that auditorium. And we almost gave up the idea that the auditorium would even become a possibility anymore. We were content with where we were, but God wanted us beyond content. He wanted us completely fulfilled. And uh, I think our heart was tested and he saw that we, what we wanted to do to help people. And then he gave us a building we never could buy. Wow. And so what percentage of the people at the Dream Center attend the service, the church service on Sunday at that Angelus Temple? Um, all of them do actually. Well, I think the orientation is the only level that does in the first 30 days, but everyone else, um, attends campus as part of the requirements. And, um, you know, that's one of the things, and that's one of the things that I think that they enjoy the most because they really get a chance to hear not just the same voices every day, you know, and, uh, sometimes I'll visit other churches on Sunday night, um, uh, just to, the ones that have Sunday night services, just to, you know, hear different people in their life pouring into them and speaking into them. Their chapel services, they have a guest speaker like three days a week from outside business people. Um, you know, 99% of the time, the Christian business people, sometimes will even be people who will just share a success principle from the sports world or entertainment world, you know, or, and, and sometimes entertainment people will be reached by the people that they're speaking to. So it's really cool um, how, how it's all set up and how we just, the church has been a great resource for them um, because it's been, it's, it's given them different voices and expressions to get in their personal growth. And so, to, and just tell us as we wind down, tell us just kind of maybe one of your favorite stories of, of a success story of someone who came to the Dream Center. Yeah, there was a man, he was living under the bridges of LA for 18 years homeless. I mean, he was famous for being homeless. As a matter of fact, he um been there for so long, like, he was talked about for being homeless. Like he would not leave his position. And I tried every day. I get off the, uh, take, I drive off the Hollywood freeway. I'd say, Hey, Hey, I'll give you $10. If you just talk to me for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually I wouldn't give him money, but in 20 years, you try everything. You know what I mean? To like, yeah. you know, let's go eat. And, and, um, he never wanted to talk. And one day a young girl, um, was in town on a youth group missions trip. We have 6,000 people a year who spend a week on this campus doing missions trips. Uh, from all over America. And she's from Oklahoma, a little teenage girl. And she said, I heard that homeless guy's been living under the bridge for 18 years. The pastor, I'm going to go reach him. <sighs> I thought to myself, well, if God's man of power, faith can't do it. What makes you think you can suddenly come in here and do it? I didn't say that, but I thought that. Because yeah. my dad always taught me in ministry that if you don't believe somebody could do something, you never discourage them because it might be God and you might, you know, discourage it. But if you don't believe them, just smile and say, praise the Lord. That's what my dad said. So <laughs> I just said, well, praise the Lord. She went under that bridge and said, sir, you're coming to the Dream Center to get a meal. He said, no, I'm not. She said, yes, you are. <laughs> he grabbed him by the hand and forced him to the line, pulled him. And he got his meal every day. And he didn't want anyone to pray for him. He didn't want Bible study. He didn't want to go to our little chapel for the feeding program. He didn't He want anyone to get near him talking about God. And every day he did that for a long period of time, maybe close to a year. And, and one day I was praying, I got mad. I said, God, this man is just using us and getting all the free food that he wants and, and doesn't want to change. And then God just spoke to me and said, let him use you. Let him get all the free food he wants. Let him come here every day, uh, shower food, whatever he wants. Let him keep using you. Because if you want to be a bridge of hope to the world, you've got to allow yourself to be walked on if you want to be a bridge. Let him use you. And every day he got one, but one day he was standing in line. He said, uh, 60-year-old man, 18 years homeless. He said, Pastor, um, 
I want to go into your rehab program. I couldn't believe it. I mean, because like I said, our rehab program is beans and rice and Jesus Christ. I mean, you are like the ones in Malibu where they give you foot massages and pedicures yeah. and all that. Yes. And he said, I want to go into your rehab program. I, I didn't believe he could make it, to be honest. But I just smiled and said, praise the Lord. This guy came into the program. He graduated the one-year program. He went to Bible school, graduated Bible school. And now Homeless Barry is now Pastor Barry. And he's on my staff preaching 18 times a week to all the food chapel people that come in to get their food. And he's literally every single day is the most on-fire guy that we had, which shows you that, I mean, one thing that I just believe that it's never too late. I really believe that people can change. I yeah. really believe, yeah, there's hard cases and sometimes, but if you just are there for people, you know, and the homeless issue, there's some people we've been ministering to for three or four years, you know, trying to reach out to them. And finally it's worked, you know, it takes time and investment putting yourself in their world before they'll change. And sometimes it's just a, a, um, an everyday mom that, you know, maybe just speaks a little bit of life into someone. They're uh, going past them or gives them something to eat and says, uh, God loves you. That could be the catalyst that literally allows them to, to make a change. And so you just never underestimate your contribution because there's turning points in people's lives and different people are, are called to be that person into their life to help them get to that moment. And are there, and there's more dream, there's dream centers around the country now, right? We have, we have close to a hundred now in every city in America. What? We have um, Tulsa, we have Phoenix, but an old embassy suite's been turned into a, a dream center there. Uh, New York City, uh, about 10 in Florida. I mean, so many in Florida. Uh, yeah, so they're all over the country and uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, I'm just off the top of my head, just kind of, uh, but yeah, they're all over everywhere. And um I would say about a quarter of them do housing like we do. Um, housing's very tough to do. It takes a lot of staff and requirements. A lot of them are trying to get there, but about a quarter of them do like, and then the other ones, you know, they kind of focus in on maybe hunger, like Memphis Dream Center. They bought all food trucks and their whole thing is hunger, but they all take an expression of the Dream Center when they come here and they just, you know, they zero in on their biggest need in their city and, um, and they go for it. And then they find that once you reach one need, it opens up another need. And for long, you're uncovering layers of different ministries to start based upon just having interaction with people. And that's how it usually works. Wow. And so how can people find the Dream Center online and and donate to the Dream Center? Because it's an amazing, amazing place. Oh, I've been there. Yeah, they could donate right online, dreamcenter.org. They could just go right there. And it's really easy to do. And Giving Tuesday is coming up and different things and uh, exciting about those type of opportunities. Uh, they could also come and serve with us. They just show up. We'll get you involved. We, have, uh, we could throw you into the kitchen almost any hour of the day to help prepare meals, the serving line for the food. You can go out in the streets and do our food trucks, our mobile food banks on wheels. Um, if you have a son or a daughter that... Um, is dealing with an addiction and needs a free of charge program will help them and take them in. So if you want to donate your finances, dreamcenter.org. If you want to get a son or daughter in the rehab program, dreamcenter.org, it's all there. You can check in, register, um, put people into the program. If you want to come and serve, it's all there too. So um, yeah, I just encourage you to go to the website and there's every day it's like Grand Central Station and outreach is leaving the station. So Within three to four hours of whatever you're thinking in your mind, there's probably something going out into the community. Yeah. So, guys, if you're looking for an end of year giving place to give, this is the place to do it. Trust me. Um, so, yeah, it's amazing. Matthew, what you've you and Caroline, your wife, have done there is just so amazing. Um, you guys, I don't know how you have the <laughs> I mean, it's from God, but the energy to do what you do because you're you're just always working. 
Uh, but thank you so much for sharing the your the whole story of the Dream Center and your story. And thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. And thank you for spending time. I'm about to cry. Think about this. You walked around, looked everyone in the eye, and you listened to their story like they are the most important people in the world. You know, girls, you know, who have been, you know, uh, involved in prostitution and, you know, girls have been just wounded so horribly by life and addiction and trauma. And the way that you loved on them was very, very special. And they could just feel that you were their biggest advocate. So thank you not only for interviewing me, but spending about an hour, an hour and a half walking around this campus and looking people in the eye. It was very, very special. Thank you, Matthew. I appreciate it. Okay, so now let's look at the the clips of the videos I took from uh, the two young women downtown at the Dream Center. Well, my name is Xpady. Um, I'm from Orange County. I'm 25 years old. Um, I came here, I'm going to make three months on the 31st already. Uh, sober from heroin, meth, fentanyl, weed, alcohol, everything, you know. Um, but yeah, I've been in juvenile hall 25 times in and out. Uh, the longest I did in society those 25 times from 15 to 21 was like a month. Um, the only reason I know that is because my probation officer sat down with me and she told me, Tapia, this is really sad. You've been in these walls more than you've been out there as a teenager. Um, but when I got off probation uh, successfully at 21, uh, things got hard for me because I relied on the government, you know, like uh, I was a foster kid. So they like always took care of me. They gave me gift cards like I, they were always there, you know. So when I got off probation, like I didn't realize what I had until it was gone. And I ended up in the streets, uh, you know, just like really empty. And like my mom didn't want to help me. So I ended up uh, doing drugs again. Um, I let some dude shoot me up with meth at 21. Uh, he did 100 cc for my first time. And uh, I went into psychosis. I uh, was talking to myself for almost a year underneath the bridge. I kept shooting up um, and it was miserable. Like I didn't want to know anything about God and I hated God and I wanted to be an atheist. And I was like, I'm never going to believe in God, you know? But when I was in that, in those moments, I was seeing demons, um, like a lot of weird, dark stuff. And it made me like, something kept pushing me to go talk to God, you know? And like, finally I told Jesus, like, you know what? A lot, I don't know who, if you really are God, but if your name is Jesus, you're gonna save me. And um, he did, uh, I ended up going to a Christian rehab for two years. But that Christian rehab was not like really like, like it was a good rehab, but it was just like a little corruption there, you know, it was religious. But it drew me closer to God, if anything, more than like uh, getting away. But I left the program, went back to drugs two months later because um, my ex, he had died and he was my boyfriend since I was 15 and it really like hit me. Um, I started doing a lot of like fentanyl and meth again. Um, but I had an overdose. Uh, that's what made me change my life uh, before I came in here. Uh, I took two big fat lines thinking it was meth because I then it looks white somehow you know it like it looks almost like meth and I did it two fat lines and I the guy that was with me was a stranger he I, he said I, um, when I ended up in the hospital he said I was choking in my own vomit um, they had to take me into the ER and I was in a coma for like seven days they had me a tube in my mouth I didn't learn how to breathe they kept injecting my stomach for claws it was really scary like I couldn't like take care of myself um, and I couldn't eat. I, everything I was eating was throwing up. Like, it was really bad. I thought it was gonna be a vegetable, but you know, uh, I had, when I pulled the thing out, I came back and I pulled the thing out, like the tube out of my mouth. And I, I seen like angels and demons fighting for my life. I seen the spiritual realm and God allowed me to see that. And that's when I knew that 
I was either gonna die or I was gonna be okay, you know, like God, I was up to God though. And um, I ended up waking up again in the hospital with my, in a different room with my mom and the pastor's wife right there. They were anointing my head with oil and praying over me. And um, yeah, that's how I got saved, honestly. And then my mom had her, the, my pastor's wife heard about Dream Center and there were some people over here. And so, uh, yeah, I came from the church, Cottonwood, uh, uh, mm -hmm. uh, what's his name? Yes. Uh, Bayless, yeah, he's so, he was crying when I came over here mm -hmm. and everything. But you know, God is good. Uh, I'm gonna stay here three years. This program is really changing my life. Like. Uh, you know, uh, I'm really grateful God put the vision in his heart and that he was obedient because, you know, and then my, uh, my staff, everybody, everybody here. It's a, this, honestly, I'm a new baby Christian, but this place is, like, amazing. Like, there's so much love, you know? I, I get the God of love here, not the God of anger. The yeah, God of love. praise God. Amen. Thank you. So, tell, me, tell me your name again. Expady. What is it? Expady. Expady. Okay. Yeah, it means Good. a gift from God. Praise God. <laughs> okay, I'm Katie. I'm 21. Um, I grew up in a really good Christian home, but my mom ended up meeting this guy and he started molesting me and raping me when I was eight years old until I was 15. Mm -hmm. And so he eventually left. I decided to go look for my real dad. He was in prison for doing the same thing to other women. So I got in contact with him and he decided to kill himself the day before I was supposed to meet him. And so I started going into, you know, like sexual, like um, I started making porn when I was 16 and I started stripping when I was 18 and then I got put into prostitution right when I turned 19. Um, I'd been raped hundreds of times. I don't even know, to be honest. I'm just lucky to be physically okay. Um, so I started doing drugs when I was 15 and I started ODing like on purpose and became really suicidal when I was 15. Um, I had OD'd when I turned 16 on 80 pills and my grandma prayed over me and I came back to life after I had been dead for three minutes. And then I OD'd again um, right before I came here. I was 20 and I OD'd and I was dead for five, like almost five minutes. It was like four minutes. And my friend prayed over me again and God brought me back again. Um, yeah, there's like honestly no medical reason for me to be alive. I've OD'd probably like 50 times. I was like... ODing twice a week. I have epilepsy too, so I've just, I've had seizures like nonstop. But yeah, I'm still here. And, and how did you find the Dream Center? Um, my pastor actually preached here. His name's Pastor Jonathan. Yeah, he came. Um, and I was a minister. I was a missionary at his church when I was like 13. Um, and I quit and I like drifted away. My family all brought me back and they begged me to get sober. So I came here for them. And I've been sober for like 112 days now, and I've been awesome. sober since I was 13. Praise God. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. See what I mean? The amazing stories. God's grace is amazing. So thank you guys for watching, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Thank you to the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find more faith-centered podcasts about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey there, it's Carly Mercoulier, host of Therapy and Theology, a weekly podcast that explores popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.